Welcome to the Time to Hire podcast. I'm Jake Paul, and I'm Will Ducey. Our goal with this podcast is to bring in new perspectives and ensure the recruiting function remains relevant and forward-looking. We talk to recruiting experts, HR tech founders, and anyone who brings unconventional ideas to help push the craft of recruiting forward. If you want to future-proof yourself and increase your impact over time through strategy, technology, and best practices, this is the podcast for you. It is time to hire. Maisha, welcome to the Time to Hire podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here with both of you, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's jump right in. We would love to start by understanding a little bit more about your background and how you got to where you are today. Yes. So I like to say I've been recruiting since the 1900s, the days of faxed resumes and uh, mailed in, actually snail mail resumes. But um, it has really um, been grateful to have extended the career to now when we're at this this era of one-click apply, right? So I've seen a lot of evolution in TA, um, including the name of TA. We used to be called personnel. So used to work in the personnel department. <laughs> but over the years, I've worn many hats from recruiting coordinator to sourcing leader. And that's brought me to where I am today um, as I've pivoted once again to start my own company where I'm doing training for recruiters and sourcers. So kind of a, a great full cycle or full circle moment for me. Cool. So you were recruiter first, transition to sourcing. How long, how long with each of those sort of different professions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so recruiting full cycle about eight years and then pivoted to sourcing, which I've done the last decade. So, yeah, one of it's not a rare um, combination, actually. There are a lot of recruiter turned sourcers in our community. So I find that interesting and then did some other things outside of recruiting, stepped away after college to teach elementary school and um, especially to Will that I taught abroad after the Great Recession when re- recruiters uh, couldn't find work. Um, and it's funny that we're here again, but we'll chat about that later, I'm sure. But yeah, so about eight to nine years in each of those. I think I know the answer to this, but preference, recruiting versus sourcing? Yeah. My preference is sourcing because I don't have to chase hiring managers. So yeah, prefer sourcing. <laughs> I get it. Um, well, tell us about the Collab Lab. What do you? What exactly is your offering type of clients? Yeah. So I'm in year one. So a lot of it I'm still uncovering and discovering, but Essentially, I provide learning and development for talent acquisition teams. And right now, it's a mixture of about 12 HRCI-approved classes that I have across recruiting, tech, and sourcing. But I am leaning more now into this idea of practical AI for recruiting teams. And that one seems to have a lot of traction in addition to some courses around inclusive sourcing. So I may refine that initial offering of 12 and refine it for 2024. But um, yeah, that's the majority of what I do. And then, of course, lots of things on the side, um, in- including a Maven cohort uh, that I've been doing for about three iterations now. So I may make that a part of the Collab Lab officially soon. But yeah, that's what I've been doing, training, recruiting and sources. Cool. Practical AI. What does that mean? Yes. You know, you know, AI is something that we've been hearing about for so many years, and it seems like it was so far away. And now that it's here... I'm hearing from a lot of recruiters like a a reluctance to try it, right, and to integrate it. So I approach it from that lens of let's use the pieces that are practical for you, right? There's thousands of AI tools on the market. You don't need to try them all. You need to identify your pain points and then select a tool that can help make your workflow smoother. So, yeah, it's really about practical uses of AI. You don't need to get deep into prompt engineering to know that you can use WordTune to make your emails better, right? So it's really about just making it accessible and a little bit more um, exciting for recruiters who may be reluctant. Just one more on that. Just 
as you're, you're on the ground with recruiters today, I sort of view the AI in two buckets, right? Like either it's, it's something that's baked into an existing tool or somebody who's using chat GPT, building custom GPTs and all of that. Where do you see the bulk of utilization today? Mm, that's a great question. I think, you know, my framework that I've been training for years is SWATs start with available technology. So I would recommend that recruiting teams do start with their gym, LinkedIn recruiter has added AI features. Start with the tools you already know and love or know and hate and have to use, right? We've had those tools too. Um, and start there, right? And as you see it get better, right? A perfect example is Loom. I love the tool Loom. Now they've added AI features, they make it simple. I don't even have to name the videos anymore. So it's worth the extra $4 a month for Loom AI, right? So encouraging recruiters to start with their existing stack, which is often outside the big enterprise tools. Recruiters always have a smorgasbord of tools like in their pocket, you know, in their toolkits. And then starting from there and then expanding out, going beyond your routine borders, that's uh, beyond routine borders. That's the BRB strategy. And then you can add in. But like, yeah, to your point, start with what you have. Maisha, we're in very lean times where recruiter bandwidth is very hard to uh, to get an hour in their day to, to do dedication to trainings and things like that. Can you walk us through some of your courses, like the time investment? Do you have any micro learnings? Like how do recruiters fit in this this training into their their day-to-day when they're trying to get candidates to their hiring managers? Yeah, that's a great call out. And, and you're right. You know, people think they don't have an hour in their day. And I haven't developed any micro learnings yet, Will, but I may. There's an AI tool called Seven Taps where you can, you know, develop something that's just a quick learning on the go, less than five minutes, seven taps to completion. So yeah, maybe I'll add that to 2024's playbook. Uh, But right now I'm building out 90 minute labs. Typically um, some clients ask for two hours, but we're really unlocking the hidden genius on the team. So it's less about me being the sage on the stage and more the guide on the side. And it's really asking questions that unlock the team's wisdom that they don't get to show off or, or utilize now that more teams are distributed or they're overloaded to your point. And they feel like they don't have time to use all the tools the company's already paid for, like the LinkedIn, uh, what is it? The LinkedIn learning that used to be Linda or a social talent, you know, um, that they've invested in and people don't think they have time. So this 90 minute investment is going to hopefully give them time back on their calendar the following week because they'll have some hacks and some practical applications that will then show them where they can get that time back, um, including when candidates, you know, ghost them and they have suddenly 30 minutes free when the person they intended to phone screen isn't there, right? Showing them how to use that time to do two 15-minute sourcing sprints and get in and out of LinkedIn and go on with your day. So yeah, there's, um, you're right. It is a, an uphill battle sometimes convincing people that they have the time for the learning, but we're finding that our collaborators are getting it after that first 90 minutes and saying, oh, okay, this is freed up time. So it's worth the investment. Are you the one, are you actually facilitating and doing the instruction with them or is it a sort of choose yes. your own adventure? Right. Ooh, eventually when we scale, it will be, but yeah, it's right now they get me live in the flesh. So um, yeah, it's really me, you know, iterating, kind of contouring my existing menu for each team, right? Customizing it for their industry and making sure it's resources that are applicable to them. And then, yeah, we get the live time together. So if I'm a head of talent right now listening to this, I've got a five-person, 12-person recruiting team. What are my pain points that I should be considering to think, Collab Lab, I need to reach out? I love that. Yes. So anything recruiting, sourcing, tech-related, specifically around your metrics, right? We'll talk about data, hopefully later, and your productivity, right? Your workflow, 
right? Getting the quarterly hires or your annual hires um, on pace with what the business needs. A lot of times you get things dropped in your lap as a TA leader, and then you need your team to suddenly scale up and do more, but they may not know how to, right? They already have 20 recs. And then you tell them, we just acquired a company. Here's five more recs each, right? And that, just that small not nudge up can be a, cause people to be at a stalemate and not know how to level up. So yeah, if you're scaling, you're growing, if you just want to refresh your team skills, if you have a very senior team and you want to make sure that they're sharing their best practices, those are all reasons that you would think of the collab lab. Yeah, I remember when Will and I worked together back at uh, ThoughtWorks, easily the biggest learnings for me, and as I was, we both, this was our first in-house gig, big transition from agency, and easily the best um, learnings that we, for me personally that I would have was be during our daily standups when the more senior recruiters are, are talking through their difficult candidate situations and just sort of absorbing that that um, that institutional knowledge almost that these more experienced folks have. So I think that's great. Finding somebody to yeah. lean on internally as that, mm-hmm. how did you describe it? They're not internal champion, but the... Yeah, just to, I like the, the hidden wisdom, right? You have a bunch of genius on your team. Yeah. yeah, so I love that. I love that you experienced that too, of just listening to the senior folks talk through their problems. So it gives you a little bit of an edge when you encounter that inevitably mm-hmm. in your workflow. It's, that hasn't been a thing that I've thought about in the remote environment. Those those uh, fluid interactions that happen just in the space. I was just talking to somebody today about that. You know, we used to sit in a room and I could hear the other recruiters calls and like understand and like, I'm going to add that to my pitch. And just thinking about those nuances that happen in the day-to-day interactions, it's hard to cultivate that sometimes for the growth environment, which, you know, you see in some remote environments that you hire more experienced people for that, that same reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great call out. So I hear a lot yeah, of sales really cool. leaders, who, especially when it was right post COVID, they were probably the most desperate ones to get their junior AEs into the office for that exact purpose, right? All the all the additional conversations you can overhear organically that just adds to your bank of of um, sort of pitches and your style and, and all that. That's right. It reminds me of my time at Google when I was so excited to be there on the floor, but. I wanted to see the other buildings. I'd heard about these nap pods. So I would always go into another building and finally my manager was like, you're never at your desk. I'm like, I know I was in, you know, building X. And he's like, I need you to be here. I need you to hear how other people are screening. I need to hear them hear you screen because you're always laughing on your calls. Like we want to know what you're saying to the candidates. Like need to be here, you know, for that camaraderie and that, like you said, well, like the, the experience of hearing, you know, the pitch and refining it. So I was like, okay. But I did sneak a nap in a, in a nap pod for the record. I got my 15-minute nap in. <laughs> um, so with your business, obviously, you're in the space of like up-leveling recruiters, ensuring that they have the right skills and um, sort of competencies, competencies to s- stay relevant, up-level their game, whatever you want to describe it. Um, what would you say is, is there a theme around certain areas of gaps today that you see as most common where recruiters really need to step it up because maybe technology is advanced and we're still playing catch up or what are you seeing out there? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sensing, I can't see it yet in the clients that have come in for training, but I'm sensing that we'll see a shift to more soft skill development, right? Those skills that humans possess from our lived and learned experiences that AI could never replicate. Um, so I'm getting a sense that the communication on a hybrid team or remote team the collaboration is going to be one and even just management. So organizing your workflow, having systems that are scalable and 
um, understanding how to still build relationships with your teammates when you don't get to see them every day. So yeah, some of those soft skills that I haven't developed trainings for, I get a sense that I may end up, you know, in the next six months building out some for those. Cool. Um, and so I guess besides soft skills going forward, any, any, you know, pro tips on, you know, to the recruiters out there, whether they're employed or not on like, what's the best way you can get ahead of this curve here and ensure that you're going to be not just employable, but, you know, hyper-productive and sort of at the forefront of the skills needed to, you know, to uh, remain relevant. Mm, I think embracing the technology and understanding its limitations, right? Because if you're afraid to get in GPT because you think it's going to take your job, you'll never know that it does some things well and other things horribly, right? Like it can't count words right now. You'd have to train it on how to count, maybe because of the token system or whatever it's using, right? So it's like you say write a 300-word cover letter, it can't do that accurately, right? So it's even just being experimental, right? That's part of why the lab is in the name, the collab lab, because I'm experimenting too. I'm a learner at heart, right? So it's about experimenting with the technology, understanding what it can do for you and what it can't do, and then beefing up your skill set so that you can become um, an even more valued asset to a team that is using ChatGPT Enterprise or that is using, uh, you know, Greenhouse with all of its AI elements, right? Understand how to operate that tech and optimize it. And we'll still need people to be thinkers, right? To develop strategy of integrating these tools into our workflows. So um, seeing this technology as a gift and not um, a curse, I think will be really important to remain relevant. Because I think about if I had stayed married to the idea of getting resumes off of the facts, right? As an intern and say, well, no, I don't need to learn about email and ATSs because, you know, getting their resume off the facts is just as efficient. Then I, I doubt my career would have lasted 20 years, right? So it's about adapting with the times if you want to remain at that. Uh, Maisha, that uh, resistance to potentially a recruiter that's listening right now hasn't used ChatGPT or any of the generative AI tools out there. What's what's a simple thing that they should go to right now to add immediate val value to their recruiter workflow that will not be scary? And I love that one. Well, what's coming to mind immediately is just a simple email reply. Like the next time you get a, an email from someone, you can just ask GPT to write a reply. But even more than that, I would say take a step back and think about the most painful part of your workday. Like delegate that part. You know, if you had a summer intern there and you could delegate the parts of your job that you hate to do um, or dislike doing, if you don't hate any specific part, delegate that to GPT, right? If it's coordinating a schedule with eight people, right? And you don't feel like looking at the calendars, maybe you give GPT a prompt and say, how, how should I approach this? I got eight calendars to synthesize and I only got five minutes between calls. What should I do so that it's not painful, right? So start with your pain and see if it can eliminate that. And if it's if it can, and you love doing all the things you're doing, then start with the email reply and see what you what you think of it. <laughs> yeah, great recommendation. Okay, let's transition a little bit to my first love within talent acquisition, which is sourcing. We have a mutual passion for this, and I've been out of the game a little while. I've focused more on operations now. So tell me, last three years, what has changed or not changed the most within sourcing strategy? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I feel like the biggest thing that comes to mind right now is probably something that's a pain point for me, and it may not be a pain point for everyone, but I'm thinking about the compliance um, obligation that's made sourcing harder, right? I'm thinking of like the GDPR. I'm thinking about when we implemented smart recruiters at an employer about two years ago coming off of Greenhouse. 
it was just going to be painful to get leads in the system because you needed their consent before we can even add them, right? Or even move them from one ATS to another. And so I'm thinking about just some of the challenges uh, that will keep sourcers kind of um, in a tough spot if unless they can iterate and be very creative and come up with some new solutions, right? Because even just messaging someone or finding their email um, and adding it into your system is going to become quite cumbersome um, based on the type of employer you're at. If you, you know, OFCCP compliance, if you're a federal contractor or if you're in Europe and you have to go by GDPR, you have to be very mindful of that, you know, the data privacy. So that that was an impediment, you know, that was slowing me down a little bit as a sourcer. Um, and I'm sure just the AI tools right now are just, they're overwhelming some people and they don't know what to use or when to use it. So I'm guessing those two are coming up. Um, have you two heard anything from sourcers or done any social listening online to see other pain points? Maybe? Specifically on the, the generative AI tools and sourcing? I think, yeah, any anytime there's a new tool and, and truly trusting what is being put out by the generative AI tool for your messaging and, and not uh, not trusting, but verifying that each time you hit send and not fully just giving the, the tool control. I think that'd be my, my recommendation and, and best practice on that to start. Yeah. And the biggest, biggest theme I'm seeing across the product suite of all the God hundreds of literal sourcing tools is just the, the AI, you know, email, you know, uh, campaign creation. It's a very right up the middle use case for Gen AI. Um, but it's interesting, <coughs> excuse me. Um, pause there. But it's interesting because I was on, I have a Slack community of like 40 different heads of talent that we all talk shop, you know, throughout, uh, throughout the week. And somebody was bringing up the idea that like, well, if every AI tool, if every sourcing tool has this personalized touch, you know, it's looking at their profile, it's adding some content. Well, that's what always that's that's the way the primary way that sourcers and recruiters typically have um, historically stood out, right? Oh, clearly this is a message that was sent to me as a human, not you know some one out of five thousand email blasts that somebody just sent off, um, and so therefore pose the question of like, well, if that's the case, how do you then differentiate? Does it all become sort of obsolete and then it's just a different version of this you know sort of spammy, um, <laughs> uh, you know, s- sourcing strategies? That's right. That's true. I've had that thought too, right? Because all of this customization still will look like noise in the recipient's inbox. And it's like, okay, great. I see my name in the subject line. So what? I know that's automated. Now, you know, so it's not as unique as it once was maybe 10 years ago, right? Before the tools like Jim came on the market and we didn't have our own drip email campaigns that could take those tokens and do that. Um, I think, but that could be a case for some recruiters who are maybe laid off now to repurpose their roles and the value they can add, right, in doing more curated, maybe community building, or, you know, helping partner with hiring managers to do more events that bring in the type of talent that they're looking to attract outside of the inbox, right? Because it's going to be a point when you're just inundated on your phone, you're getting texts, and you just tune it all out, right? So we may have to think about more offline ways to then engage these people. (laughs) We've found their email addresses, we've customized the message, and we're still getting crickets. So got to stay creative despite all the technology i think that's the key because like as i as a product person now i think about okay if i were to you know build a sourcing tool from scratch today it's like okay every everybody right now is effectively just finding a way to contact a candidate are you interested catch them at the right time and do that as an automated and high quality of a way as possible but it's but 
a full fundamentally different approach is community building where it's not that just sort of fishing expedition. Um, so I feel like there's gotta be something around that. It's effectively what LinkedIn has kind of become, but it's everyone feels, and I think can agree that it's due for disruption in some way. That's right. That's right. And I'd be curious of you, especially in your group of leaders, your Slack channel, are they open to this new idea and are they open to the time it may take? Right. Because that's always been the pushback when I've been in IC. It's like, oh, it sounds great that you want to partner with the local university that puts out these kind of grads, but we need this position filled, you know, by end of quarter. So just go ahead and do the same old, you know, 25 messages a day. We'll do the volume play. You know, I've never I haven't seen yet, you know, the leaders in TA say, you know what, this isn't a strategy and sourcing isn't, you know, ROI a week every time. Sometimes you work on it and you build up momentum and then over a year of touch points with a candidate, then they're finally ready. So I would love to know if you're seeing any uh, appetite for like a more curated long-term play. I think the appetite's there, but the problem is, is that until, until the nature of, of recruiting becomes less transactional, right? It's like, okay, we have an open rec. I need to, you know, fill this yesterday, you know, and now combined with the leaner teams to Will's point, you know, doing more with less, like, you know, we don't have the bandwidth and the luxury of, you know, lar very large recruiting teams with every single tool that you need to actually find the time to go do something like that. So I'd argue it's, while the appetite's there and the need is there, um, it's hard to see a path where any anybody's going to really find the meaningful amount of time to curate uh, okay. a true value, truly valuable sort of community. Um, but that's, that is kind of the dream state. Yeah, if we could operationalize it at scale, maybe it could happen. Okay, good. Let's take that. Maisha, let's ask the T. GBT consultant. <laughs> Maisha, on the uh, on the point with sourcing teams being leaner, recruiters expected to do more. How are you, or how would you, uh, how would you tell talent leaders that are working with the business that sometimes quality is is absolutely more important than the quantity we're seeing, and and how are you balancing that or striving with sourcing teams to make sure that they're thinking about the quality outreach versus just the numbers? Mm -hmm. It's such a good question. And I'm constantly trying to come up with new ways to position that. Lately, I've been using the phrase small batch, high touch. So even in a high volume situation, we still want to source the right people, right? Talking about that quality, um, make sure we're calibrated with the hiring teams, reach out to those people to confirm that we're actually calibrating that they're interested. And then from there, we can pick up the pace and do it a little bit more, um, you know, quicker. We can take a two week sprint down to a week or something like that. But yeah, we still need to be thinking about the quality because, you know, it, it doesn't serve any of us or the time that the money that you're paying your team to just blast a hundred people and only two are the right fit. And then you're worried about those two and if they're going to be interested. So, it takes a little bit of time to slow down and yeah, perfect it. But yeah, the quality is at the end of the day, you know, if we could get the analytics, I think, you know, as recruiters, even looking back at, in my early days in recruiting and sourcing, we don't have the data at our fingertips. You know, our leaders have these tableau charts that they hold very tightly and they don't even show us like what our outreach is doing, you know, long-term. But if we had the data, we could better position ourselves to make a case for quality over um, quantity because then we could say well remember the you know last five hires that you had that stayed with the team longer than a year that came from our quality batch and you know those four people that you know we had a trip in the first six months that came from the quantity batch so you know if we had those post hire 
numbers to even consider to compare against our top of funnel, right? Then we could better gauge, you know, where are we getting the most ROI? But we're kind of operating blindly a lot of times on the front line and we don't know that story um, past, you know, getting them on site and getting the offer out. Maisha, I want to end on this fun question. You've, you've been in this uh, space since we were called the personnel team. What do you think is the journey five to 10 years from now? What do you think is going to change the most? What do you think is going to stay the same? And where should we be looking forward to? Mm-hmm. It's so hard to gauge one because the last five years have just been so different from the pandemic to the shift to fully remote. Now this shift to hybrid and for some industries back completely. So it's hard to make an educated guess. I did a talk once where I said, without data, you're just guessing. So I'm just guessing right now. I don't have the data to show us really what could be possible. But I think the future of recruiting is definitely going to be fractional. We may see fewer of the full cycle roles that are just budgeted for a year and maybe more specialist, right? And you're a nurse recruiter. And even within nurse recruiting, you have a specialty and that's the type of fractional support you end up providing. I think it'll be digital for sure. So you have to be tech savvy to be able to deliver it, distribute it. And I haven't thought of a fun word for the last one, but it's going to be maybe personable. It'll be about your soft skills. It'll be about the human-centric piece that only you can provide. So maybe you become a thoughtful negotiator over your years as a recruiter and you're brought in to close the deals, right, with other fractional candidates maybe, you know, on the engineering side or on the uh, whatever industry you're recruiting for. Uh, But I think you'll need to be agile and flexible as we figure out what the future is. But yeah, and some some people will repurpose their skill sets altogether and end up maybe on the onboarding side, right? Welcoming new fractional employees to their new digital workspaces. But yeah, I think there's room for all of us. We may just have to be very creative in how we need to stay alive as you know recruiters and sourcers in the next decade. Fractional, digital, and personal. I like it. We'll have to come up with an acronym for you. Maisha, thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous with us and our audience. Where can people learn more about you and the Collab Lab? Yeah, you can go to tricollablab.com and you can find me there. And you can find me on LinkedIn too, if you're on LinkedIn. I feel like that's not going to be a cool thing to say in about three or four more years. Find me on LinkedIn. So just go to tricollablab.com. <laughs> Sounds good. So, well, thank you. Good to see you.